Amen. Thank you, Rich. So, genuinely really excited again to be preaching on prayer. Um, As Rich mentioned earlier, um, just now, we are launching a month of prayer in January, and we are calling it Plan A. Plan A because the church is God's Plan A, and in, in many ways, prayer is where the real action is, okay? So we're combining this whole idea of church being God's Plan A and prayer being God's primary way that he wants to Um, help bring forth his kingdom. It's where the action is, it's where the work is. So before I actually get into the preach, I've been asked to let you guys know we have got this very snazzy folding, yeah, ooh, ooh, um, little um, kind of, I don't know what you call it, it's like a flyer, is it a flyer? I suppose so. Um, It's all about the prayer month, and when you go out, there's going to be someone on the doors who's going to give you one of these, hot off the press. Um, Take it, read through it, and stick it on your fridge, and make sure that you prioritise the January in terms of your calendar to make sure that we can prioritise prayer because prayer works, okay? In a sense, I could just say prayer works and that's my preach done. But I'm going to unpack and I'm going to look at lots more things. Um, but I, I want to start by saying I, I, I genuinely believe that today it's timely that we are talking about prayer. Not just because we're going to be having a week of prayer, a month of prayer in, in January, But because I believe that where we're at as a church at the moment, um, it's really important that we understand prayer, like really understand prayer. And I know for a lot of us, maybe we've been Christians for a long time, we know quite a lot about prayer. Oh, another preach on prayer. Yeah. Or, um, oh, this is basic stuff. Let's get the, 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 the sort of deep theological stuff. Well, actually, we need to keep coming back to this topic of prayer because it's so important for us to understand. And as a church, I genuinely believe if we're going to if we're going to step into all that God's called us to, we really have to keep coming back to prayer. And it is only going to be by prayer that we're going to be able to see the promises fully released. Okay? If we're not, if we're not being a prayerful community, if we're not seeking God on our knees, if we're not pressing in and pursuing God through prayer primarily, then all our efforts, we may produce some nice things. We may produce some, you know, some pretty good stuff. We've got some pretty skilled people in here, some very talented individuals in the workplace and all sorts of things. I'm sure we'll do a great job, but it's always going to be longer and harder and tougher. And actually, God might not decide not to use us anyway. He doesn't have to use us, but he's looking for people who want to just, here I am, send me, but who will seek him in prayer. If you look through the Bible, it's fascinating how many prayers there are. I mean, just in terms of my preparation, I was sort of blown away. There's well over 600 individual prayers throughout Scripture. Even in the Gospels themselves, Jesus himself, there are 20, well, I counted 23 individual different situations where Jesus prayed. It was, it's like it was a lifestyle for Jesus, but it's, a, it's thematic throughout the whole of Scripture. Prayer is so essential. And I believe that, if nothing else, that you guys today, I want us to, to sort of feel the, the, the godly sense of weight around prayer. It's appropriate to, 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 to feel it because actually it is really important that we understand it. And I hope that today's message will bring a bit of an urgency around prayer. Because if, like I said, if we want to see all the things that God's called us to, we need to understand prayer and we need to be praying regularly. So who was it enough? 
Hey, I've got a slight confession to make. I feel slightly hypocritical. I'm preaching on prayer and I didn't make enough. Um, I thought I'd throw it out there because I know some of you are already thinking to yourself, you prioritise prayer, you weren't at enough. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't make it due to um, Rachel and Gracie not being too well. Um, but, you know, your prayers are enough has advanced the kingdom of God. Full stop. It has advanced the kingdom of God because prayers work. They're powerful. It is where the action is. Because we pray together as a body, the kingdom of God has advanced. The, the, the spiritual principalities in the heavenly places have withtreated because we've been praying in faith together, agreeing together. It is powerful. You only need to come along to one of our Tuesday morning prayer meetings to hear testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony of answered prayer. We've been having them nearly... Well, pretty much weekly for like the last nine and a half, ten years, and we could probably write a book on answers of prayers. Honestly, there are so many. I know for myself, there are countless prayers that I've prayed specifically and God has answered. So I want to start just by sharing a couple of them, and then we're going to unpack today's, um, today's verse. So I moved to London about nine and a bit years ago. When I moved to London, I felt God say to me, Matt, because he calls me Matt in my, my, my one-to-one times. Um, he said, Matt, I don't want you to worry about getting a job until the new year. Now, you've got to understand, I moved to London in the September. So September to January is like four months. That's quite a long time. I had a, you know, rent to pay. I had not a lot of savings. Um, my church had blessed me to move up to London and gave me a little bit of money. Uh, but I needed a job. So I was like, Lord... What am I going to do? I, 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 need, I need a job. But if you're saying, don't worry, that's fine. But w- why? What, what shall I do? And it was in prayer that I felt God say to me, look, I just want you to settle in four months. I want you to get to know, um, get to know the people, get to know the people in the church, get to know your neighbours, get to know the area. I want you to, to get to know the place. And I want, you to under, I want you to get to know prayer. I want you to understand prayer. And I want you just to have a, a, a bit of a season as you start coming up to London where you can just dedicate to prayer. So that's what I did. So over the, the next sort of four months, I would separate my week up um, in all sorts of ways. Um, but on Tuesdays and Fridays, um, I would go out onto Camden High Street and I would walk up and down Camden High Street from Mornington Crescent up to Chalk Farm and back again. I would just keep doing that um, and just praying, looking around, praying, blessing people as they're walking past, praying for them, praying for my family, praying for praying for my future wife, um, praying for all the, all the things that were dear to me. And as the months got um, closer to January, um, my, my prayers for a job became more specific, okay? Because I'm aware that come January, I ain't got no money and I need to pay the rent. So I was praying regularly, walking up and down Camden High Street, God, I'd love to have a job. And as I was praying, God told me, Matt, you can be pray specifically. Be more specific as you're praying, because I can do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. So it doesn't matter how specific you are, I can do more. So I started thinking, what, what's my ideal job? What would I like to do? So I started praying. I wanted to do youth work. Um, I didn't have any qualifications, so I kind of wanted a job that would give me some qualifications. Um, I said I didn't have any qualifications. I, I kind of finished college and stuff. I just didn't go to uni. Um, and, uh, and I wanted a job that would be four days a week. Because I, wanted to, I was quite enjoying being able to just give a bit of time to church and prayer um, and just bits and bobs like that. So I took it to the Lord, those three things. Youth work a job, four days a week, qualifications please. See what will happen. So the, the days are getting shorter, um, I'm counting down towards January. And I felt God give me permission to 
uh, write a CV and send it out to different youth centres. It's a good starting point. Sometimes you've got to kind of take hold of the things God's told you to and, and you know, mix it with faith and see what happens. So wrote my CV, a cover letter, sent it out to over, well, it was actually over, just over 30 youth centres across London. Um, and then I kept praying, waiting, waiting a bit more. Nothing was coming through. I was like, oh man. Um, so kept praying again. And then suddenly I got a response. Just one out of 33, I think it was, um, saying, oh, um, senior CV, come on in. We've got a position going available. It's only one evening a week. Um, but hey, it was something, right? I needed something and it, maybe it was an inroad in. So again, I remember just walking up and down Camden High Street praying. Then I went in for the interview. Um, I think I did all right. And they said they'd get back to me the next day. So the next day, they rang me in the morning and they said, come on in, um, we, we want to talk to you. I'm like, yes, I got the job. Um, so I come on in, sit down, and they're like, really sorry, you haven't got the job. I think that's a bit strange. Why are you going to call me in to tell me face to face? That's kind of like, it's the 21st century, man. Pick up the phone. Like, that's just ridiculous. Um, but lo and behold... I was there, a little bit stunned, a bit shocked, and sort of thinking to myself, oh, oh um, probably all sorts of ungodly thoughts. Um, sorry, Lord. Um, and then she said, but here's the thing. This morning, there's a position that's just come available. Um, I don't know what your situation is. Um, however, we've got a job. It's not quite part-time. Um, actually, it's only four days a week. I'm like, my ears prick up. My jaw starts to lower to the ground. I'm like, okay. And then she says, and the thing is, we've seen in your CV, um, you've, you haven't got any specific youth work qualifications. <laughs> so the only way we'd, we'd offer you the job is if you're willing for us to pay for your, your youth worker qualifications and to release you. I'm like, are you serious? Um, she's like, yeah, we're serious. When is this starting? Well, we can start the first week of January. Okay, so God answers our prayers and he can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. This is why and this is how, okay? So that job, out of the 33 youth centres that I sent my CV to, it was in Castlehaven Community Centre. Now, I don't know if you know the area, but Castlehaven is just off Camden High Street. I walked past it every day. Well, not every day, on Tuesdays and Fridays when I was praying. It was in Camden, the area that I came to reach. I, didn't, I, w- I would have been happy in... Brixton, in, in Tower Hamlets, wherever it was. But it happened that God opened the door at Castle Haven. And actually, Castle Haven became such a blessing to me in terms of helping me to find the ropes in youth work. Um, I got to meet Pete Day, um, who taught me loads about prayer at work. And we'd go for prayer walks around, uh, around the building. And if anything went wrong, we'd go and lock ourselves into the little music studio, soundproof so no one could hear. And we would be praying and asking God to sack that horrible manager or whatever it might be. <laughs> we laugh, but we know it's true. <laughs> Um, but it was a real it became a real blessing he can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine it really is the truth so I want to stir us today have you got prayers which are specific have you got prayers which God are praying because he wants us to he actually enjoys answering our prayers because it gives him glory and he is interested in our life he really is interested in our life so what I want to do today I want to unpack um, I want to unpack uh, some scripture I have been inspired by Dan Hater, who can, uh, he can memorise the whole of Romans. Um, in fact, pretty much all, all, of, the, all of the Bible, um, off by heart in Greek and Hebrew, and English and German and French. Um, it's true. Um, so I was inspired to try and learn today's verse before we put it up. Okay? So 
Today's verse is pray without ceasing. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. I know, I know. See, you've got to watch out, Dan. I'm coming for you. <laughs> okay, so... Um, <laughs> Greek. Uh, okay, sorry, I can't. Um, so, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17 says that we are to pray without ceasing, but I'd be shortchanging you if I wasn't to at least put it into the full sentence. Okay? So, the verses weren't actually in the original manuscript, it was a letter. Um, they've just put it in since to help break it up. So, I'm going to read the sentence, but I'm going to focus in on pray, uh, on pray without ceasing today. And it's important that we understand the sentence for reasons that I'll go on to tell you. But it says, essentially, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The will of God in Christ Jesus for you, threefold here. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. It is the will of God for our life. You see, we'd all be comfortable if I was to say, you know, it's God's will that you are, you are to shine your light to the people who don't know you. It's God's will that you are to be loving and caring. Um, it's God's will that you are to do X, Y, and Z, yeah? We'd be comfortable with certain things. It's God's will that you pray. It's God's will that you pray without ceasing. And we're going to unpack that in a minute. But I just felt it's important that we, again, feel the sense of weight around the scriptures this is God's counsel. It's his wise wisdom towards us, okay? It's not meant to be a burdensome thing. Prayer shouldn't be a, a, a weighty thing, a thing that we think, oh, man, I've got to pray. Like, oh, I've got other things to do, like Breaking Bad and other, you know, Netflix and all sorts of whatever it might be. No, prayer is meant to be life-giving. It's a promise from God, and his promises are life-giving. So if we find ourselves feeling like we don't want to pray, and then we actually pray, well, you know what? When you, when you go to pray, God will meet you in that place, and you will find life, okay? Because you're talking with God, you're fellowshipping with him. And actually, there are countless exhortations throughout Scripture that say very similar things, if not even more direct for us to feel the weight of. So it says things like, pray at all times in Ephesians. In Philippians, it says, in everything, through prayer, bring your requests to God. In everything, in all that you're doing. In Colossians, it tells us to continue, uh, to continue steadfastly in prayer. In Romans, it says, be constant in prayer. There are so many commands like this that I could have chosen, but I thought I would choose this one because I had to choose one. Okay? But actually, there are some helpful things that we can look at. But I just want us to kind of really feel this. It is God's will that we are a prayerful people and that we prioritize prayer and that we do it regularly. So let's unpack it a little bit. So praying without ceasing. Essentially, it's telling us to do something, which is prayer, and it's telling us how to do it. Pray without ceasing. It's telling us to do something, and it's telling us how to do it. So it's a little bit like me saying to you, I want you to, um, Rich, I want you to dance like you're at a wedding. I'm telling, you to, I'm telling you what to do, and I'm telling you how to do it, okay? But the thing is, if I tell Rich to dance um, like he is at a wedding, his dance would be very different to, say, one of our elders who's just gone to... Um, Back, send him back over to his homeland and their dancing is very different to the kind of dancing that Rich would do. There's a reason why I'm saying this, okay? There is a reason. Um, and actually, if I ask my parents to dance like they're at a wedding, they would dance very differently to my grandparents. 
And that my grandparents would dance very differently to Hager's grandparents. Why? Because when it comes to something like dance, the action, the what to do, we all have our own perception on, and our own experience of how dance is. It could be how we dance culturally. It could be a generational thing. Um, it could just be our experience um, or maybe lack of experience. Um, who knows? Depends how you dance. But it's the same with prayer, okay? So if I was to go onto Camden High Street and I was to say to someone, I want you to pray without ceasing, what do you think that means? Okay? Different people would, would have a different idea of what prayer is. Depending on their experience, their disappointments, depending on their religion, depending on their age, their culture, their generation. See, it's all well and good me saying pray without ceasing, but actually, if you just pray how you think prayer should be, it could be the right way to pray, pray in the most helpful way, but it might not be. So what I want us to do is I want us to have a quick look at um, what prayer would have meant to the early church. Okay, so if I was to say pray without ceasing to the guys, um, to the church in Thessalonica, what would they have thought? What would be the imagery? What, what was their experience of prayer? Because I think if we can understand a little bit about how they saw it, the lens which they um, view and understand prayer in, actually there's, there are some lessons that we can learn. So, prayer for the early church and the time when Jesus was alive, and actually for thousands of years up until that point, played a significant and really important role in everyday life. So a little bit like, um, so the Spanish, they have a siesta in the middle of the day, which I think is a fantastic idea, by the way. We should start a petition and get it going in England. Brilliant, you've got to love the Spanish. But they have a siesta in the middle of the day. The Jews, they would have a specific part of their day that they would put aside for prayer, and it was called the hour of prayer. Now, it wasn't a whole hour, it was, that was sort of um, indicating that at a specific hour, they spent some time praying. And they did it every day, and it was built into their daily routine without fail. It wasn't commanded that they had to do this. So there wasn't anything, God, it wasn't part of God's law that they had to do it. But over the generations um, leading up to Jesus' time, it became very symbolic. And for reasons that you'll go on to see, that, um, they clearly prioritised prayer because of what it meant um, and also the things around it, um, which pointed towards, towards something else, which I remember in the surprise. But the other thing is, it was actually really communal, okay? So lots of Jews would come together, particularly if you lived in Jerusalem, where the temple was, um, it would be very much a communal thing. And the Jews would come to the temple to pray around the temple. There'd be big crowds of them at a specific time of the day. Now, there was the hour of prayer, but there was another time that they would pray as well. It wasn't as popular. Um, I th- it became more popular to pray at, um, at what was called the ninth hour. But there was another time that they prayed, which was called the third hour. Okay, So they prayed at the third hour. They would have prayed around the third hour, but they would have prioritised prayer at the ninth hour. And now, when it comes to the, the clock, their clock was slightly different. Okay, So the way their clock worked... It started at six o'clock in the morning and it finished, the day finished at six o'clock in the evening. So the third hour, okay, you're, you're, clock, you're, working, you're clocking up, aren't you? Hey, but um, so it starts at six. The third hour is three hours on from six. Six plus three is nine. So it's nine o'clock. So at nine o'clock in the morning, there was a time that they would have prayed. But the key time they prayed was at the ninth hour, which was. 
3 p.m., thank you very much. Prize for you later. 3 p.m., okay, so it's nine hours on from six when the day started, the ninth hour. So what was significant about nine o'clock and particularly three o'clock? Well, there were two significant things that happened at this time. The first thing is burnt offerings. They're sacrifice. So God commanded his people generations beforehand that every day I want you to sacrifice twice a day a burnt offering of a lamb. The priest would come and he would, um, he would uh, kill according to how they've been commanded to kill and they would offer up a sacrifice to God. And the idea was that that would, that would um, bring about forgiveness, that, that you don't get forgiveness without the shedding of blood in the Bible and there needed to be an offering. So they would offer up a lamb uh, a, a young lamb, a healthy lamb, as, a, as, a, as an offering to God. That happened at nine o'clock and at three o'clock. The other thing that happened at that time, which in a sense is actually for the average Jew coming to pray, is more, more significant, dare I say it, than the actual burnt offering. Or as significant is probably how I should say. Incense was burnt. Incense was burnt directly following the burnt offering. They would take some coal from the, from the, uh, the bronze altar where they killed the lamb. They would take um, a scoop of coal, and that, was, that happened in the outer temple. They would take some coal, and the priest whose lot it was to burn incense would go into the holy place, not the, not the, the inner holy place, the, the holy of holies. That was where God's presence was, where we weren't allowed. Only the high priest once a year could go into, the, into that place. But just the, the other side of the curtain was what was called the holy place. And they had uh, an altar that they would burn incense on that would be burnt from the coal of the sacrifice. That incense was put before God as a sign that there has been shedding of blood, that a sacrifice has been made, and it was a sweet fragrance before God's presence. Now, the Jews who came to pray at the ninth hour, uh, at, the ninth hour at three o'clock in the afternoon, they were waiting for the incense to be burnt, because when the incense is burnt, they know that there has been, the, um, the, the lamb has been slain, and that then means that their prayers are going up to heaven and it's a fragrant offering to God. Their prayers are accepted before God, like the fragrant offering that goes before God's presence. It was a symbolic act- enactment which was significant, and they were waiting for that moment where they would see the incense is burning now, and there'll be this holy moment, and they're ready, and they're, they're together, and they're praying. And actually, in Reve- the book of Revelation, when it talks about the end time, it has this beautiful imagery around um, the angels carrying this, there's this big golden like censer bowl thing and it's mixed with incense and the prayers of the saints and it's tipped out onto the world. And it's this, this, this imagery of incense rising up to heaven and our prayers reaching heaven was very much what these guys would have had in their mind when they hear pray without ceasing. They're familiar that you, cannot, you can't have prayer without sacrifice. You can't have prayer without sacrifice. It's important. They understood that. So what follows sacrifice is we can pray. We can pray now. However, that wasn't the only thing that would have been in their mind. Because if we turn to Mark's, um, Mark's account of the crucifixion, can I have the next slide, Tuli? 
what we see is something fascinating. You see, Jesus was a foreshadow of what was to... Oh no, the, the temple set... Uh, set oh, Jesus was not the foreshadow. He was a fulfillment. The temple, amen. The temple and what happened in the temple was in a sense a shadow, a foreshadow of what was to come. And we'll see that when these guys heard prayer without ceasing, they would have also had an extra element which was really powerful. So it says, I've picked out some verses... Verse 25 of Mark 15, and it was the third hour when they crucified him. So the third hour was when they had the, the morning sacrifice. Okay. Then it says, at the sixth hour, um, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. So at the sixth hour, Jesus, as we learned last week, Frank told us, at noon, the sixth hour, Jesus was all alone, tied up, darkness covered the land, representing he, you know, utterly forsaken, all alone, by himself. Do you know what happened at noon in the temple? Jewish historians suggest that that's around the time they would have brought the lamb in and tied it to a post in the, te- in the temple, waiting for the sacrifice to happen in the evening. All alone, by themselves, waiting. Isn't it amazing how Jesus fulfills things? And then the ninth hour... Jesus prays his last, he, he breathes his last breath. He was sacrificed. Jesus is the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. The lamb that was slain for the sins of the world, which means for us and for the listeners of pray without ceasing, there's another level to what it means to pray without ceasing. Actually, if you're a Christian, you don't have to worry about set routines and you don't, you, you're not restricted to just being able to pray at certain times once someone else has done something to kind of give you a little bit of access, but it's never quite the right access that they fully need because it's not, not really dealing with their sins. And, um, but for us, praise God, he has made a way by sending his son so that we can have access to the holy place. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the, 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 to, uh, the temple curtain? It ripped from top to bottom the inner place that was separating, um, only the high priest could go. We weren't allowed anywhere near. It ripped. It was opened up. A new way was made for us to be able to enter into that holy place in, in the heavenly sense, but all around us. We can now pray with confidence. We can access God's throne room because Jesus has done it once and for all. He's the door that enables prayer. You can't have prayer without sacrifice. Praise God that he's done it once and for all. So when they hear prayer without ceasing, this is now what they're thinking, that actually it's not just about praying daily, though they, they in fact, you know, it's interesting, they did carry on observing um, the, the, this kind of hour of prayer. It becomes so embedded into society. They, they joined in on it, but obviously they're aware that, that they don't need the lamb to, um, to be slain for them because Jesus has done it. But it says that Peter and John went to the temple at the hour of prayer. And um, there's quite a few accounts in, in Acts where they mention the hour of prayer. So they still had this kind of routine. They prayed regularly together, daily. But the way they prayed, how they prayed, and, and how often they could have prayed outside of that time was vastly different to how it used to be. So I want us to look at one last passage just to look a little bit more around, around what it means to pray without ceasing. Because obviously, we're getting a little bit of an idea now of, of kind of maybe what prayer meant to the early church in terms of the ideology and the, the, the sort of symbol, symbols and, and all of that. But what does it mean to pray without ceasing? Well, 
Thankfully, Jesus spoke directly into this. Um, so I'm going to read some of the verses, but I'm going to stop at different points just to pull out some, some points. Okay, So you can turn to it if you want to, um, but it's going to be a little bit broken in the way I um, sort of unpack it. So first of all, it says um, in Luke 11, verse 1, Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. I want to stop there. I want to pull out two things. Firstly, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Where's your certain place? Do you have a certain place that you go to pray? Jesus had lots of certain places. At least 23 occasions, we, we have like a, a, a sort of a glimmer of, of a prayer that he prayed. A large majority of them is Jesus by himself praying. I want to challenge us on, on, the way, on, on the way we pray. Before we get into the nitty gritty, I just, I just felt like I need to pause here because Jesus prioritized prayer. You know, Jesus was really busy in the height of his ministry. Like he was epically busy. He couldn't even escape from crowds mobbing him. There's one occasion when Jesus found out that John the Baptist had died. Okay. And he just wants to go up onto the mountain and pray. But he suddenly, he can't find anywhere to go because the crowds are following him. And then because he's gracious, good and loving, he takes pity on them. They're on the mountainside. They need some food. So he does the feeding of the, you know, the, the loaves and the fishes, feeding the 5,000. It's not until later on that evening, after he's done loads of miracles, he sent them on their way, that he can finally go up onto the mountain and pray. And he sends his disciples ahead of him into the, in, uh, across the lake because he wanted to have time alone to pray. He was busy. It doesn't cut saying to Jesus, I'm sorry, it doesn't cut saying to Jesus, I'm too busy to pray. You're not. You're not too busy to pray. You're really not. And if you are too busy to pray, then, then you're, something, something has to change. And something can change. It might mean getting up earlier. It might mean going to bed a bit later. It might be being creative with your lunch break. So I now try and go out for a walk on my lunch break. Um, in this season of life, I find I'm, I'm trying to spend my lunch break praying. I get that not all of you get a lunch break, but you will have some time. Okay, you, you all have time for yourself in one way, shape or form. Prayer doesn't burden you. If anything, it recharges you. Okay, so don't think, oh, I'm doing something. It's going to knacker me out or whatever. It's, it's a good thing to do. And Jesus had certain places that he went to pray. The second thing is the disciple doesn't say who it is, but he said, teach us to pray. I love that. Teach us to pray. So it might be that you think, mm, I'm not sure about all this prayer stuff. You seem to, you seem to be you know, passionate about prayer, but you know, that's great. Well, as long as someone is, that's, that's cool. Or it might just be that you've had some bad experiences of prayer. You've got some questions about prayer. You're not quite sure how prayer works. This disciple did the right thing. He went to Jesus. He said, teach us to pray. They obviously saw, they stood from a side and they saw Jesus praying in a certain place. They waited until he finished. Who are they to interrupt Jesus having communion, talking with his father? They wait and then they go up to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray. We see how you pray and we want that. I want to pray like you prayed. I would recommend praying that kind of prayer. It's a good prayer to pray. Even if, even if, you, ca- even if you think, I, I, you know, I'm, I get prayer and I love prayer. It's still a good prayer, a good prayer to pray. And I love the fact that they, it's, it's like they go to Jesus to ask, but going to Jesus and asking is actually for us praying, right? 
which is just, it's, it's funny how it works. But sometimes if you want to grow in prayer, you've got to pray. Yeah? And actually, it's a bit like a hot tap. When you start, it's a bit cold and it gets warmer and warmer. Sometimes you're not quite sure how to pray. Well, just pray. Pray yourself into prayer. Yeah? Pray yourself into prayer. And you'll find that actually God will meet you in that place. And the Holy Spirit will help you. He wants to help us. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray. And Jesus will teach us to pray. And actually, do you know what Jesus is doing at the moment? He's on the throne interceding, Hebrews tells us, for us. On our behalf, he's, he's with the Father and he's praying. He prayed for, Jesus prayed for us when he was on earth. There's an amazing prayer that Jesus did towards the end of his ministry. Um, and, and those prayers echo for all generations. Okay? We're covered by prayers that Jesus prayed on earth, but he's still praying prayers for us. We're joining with Jesus as we pray. It's amazing. It really is to think that the, the, the gracious one who gave his life up for us like that, as, you know, that, surely that's enough. But no, he's now still interceding and caring about us before the Father. So let's read on. Um, it says, and he said to them, when you pray, when you pray, by the way, I, I won't say any more, when you pray, um, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins and forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Okay, I'll pause there very quickly. That is sort of giving you um, a model about how to pray. I'm not actually going to unpack this um, because I think you almost need a whole sermon to be able to unpack exactly what that is. But I would just say on a broad stroke note that um, it's not prescriptive. You have to pray these, pr- these specific words. Okay, Jesus isn't saying you have to pray every time you pray. That's the only thing you can pray. It's not. And we see that. We see prayers that, this, that the early church prayed that weren't that. But they were aligned to that. It's it's sort of thematic, the kind of things that the way you should pray should be like this. Anyway, let's move on to the next verses, Tuli. And he said to them, this is the bit I want to unpack for the last five minutes. He said to them, which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, impudence is like a, a jazzy word for persistence, for bothering, for, for nagging, for, um, for not letting go, for, for keep on going, for just... I need you to answer me, you know, holding them by the, the, the foot and saying, no, this, I'm not going to take no for an answer. It's an ongoing persistence. It's quite a, it's quite a powerful word, actually, the, the, the kind of the symbolism behind that. And it kind of, in my mind, links into what it must mean to pray without ceasing. So I don't think pray without ceasing is just praying regularly and praying, you know, all the time, bringing God into your daily routine, which we completely should. I think actually it's teaching us a little bit more about how to go after things in prayer when we are praying. Okay, so this it's amazing um, what is said here, particularly in verses seven and eight. I love I love the the bothering of his friend. He literally won't give up. He's not saying no for an answer. Okay, he's persistent. In my experience, there's kind of there's I guess three kind of prayers. There's the, why bother? 
Okay, why bother? Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you just don't get it. Maybe you're just not bothered because a million and one other things are taking priority in your life. Why bother? Or there's the, I couldn't possibly bother. Like, you're polite. Your prayers are very polite. I pray at once, you know. God is, rever- you know, he's holy after all. I just, um, please help me, amen. And then you move on to your day, yeah? You don't want to bother God because almost... There's an appropriate sense of God's holiness, but at the same time, maybe a lack of understanding about how Jesus teaches us to pray. Because he says we can persist and, and, and come to him in this kind of way. He's encouraging us to do it. So there's a third kind of prayer, which I think is this kind of prayer, which is the I've got to bother. Yeah, You just keep bothering. Bother, bother, bother. Okay, I want us to be a bothering church. If we want to see gospel plants... Across North London, we have to bother God in prayer, okay? You have to bother God. We're going to have to bother him. And it's not a bad thing to bother God. By bother God, I don't mean, like, annoy him. Um, what I mean is, let's be persistent in our prayers. Let's keep coming back to him. I feel like I really need to just make it clear that we have so many gifted people here. But let's not rely on our gifts alone, okay? Let's not rely on our ability to plan, just plan. Submit your plans before God, the Bible says. Bring them to him in prayer, Okay, we can plan. There's nothing wrong with planning. God is a God of order, but we need to be people who pray. We can't just rely on our own efforts. It's not going to cut it. It won't make the glory of the church in the way that God wants it to be if we only rely on the gifts, which God's given us anyway, but he wants us to come to him in prayer because prayer is his chosen channel. It's, it's like it's his process. It's his method which he wants to advance the kingdom of God. It's the, it's the cement in the bricks. It's the, it is the effort that he wants us to put into building his church. So are we going to bother God? Will you bother God? Will you persist in prayer? We can. Thank you. Amen. One of you. Do you know what? I only need, actually, I, I pray that all of us do it, but I would rather have one person by, the, by my side who knows how to pray than the thousand who don't. And I mean that. One man who knows how to pray, you can move a mountain and, and speak to it and move it into the river or the sea or whatever it is. You can move it into both at the same time. <laughs> okay, you need just one person who gets this and things will start moving. Imagine what can happen. Imagine the bonfire that could happen if we all, alight with prayer, come together. It's incredible what prayer can achieve. So I want to encourage us to go for it, okay? And verse 9 and 10, so let's just go on to the last couple of verses, and I promise I will end. It says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Talk about repetition. Like, he's basically making the same point, like, three times in the first verse, and then sort of unpacking it and repeating it in in the next verse. It's, a big, it's important. He's, he's kind of making the same point, really, three times. And often when something's described or explained with sort of three times, like God is holy, 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 right? it's because he's really holy. Like, I, think, I think there's a point they're trying to make here to persist, to pray without ceasing, to keep asking, keep knocking, um, and let's just keep seeking God with everything we've got, with all our plans, Because if we do, he will answer us. He will answer us. And I know there will be people in here, myself included, where we haven't always experienced answers to prayers. But that doesn't mean we should give up. It really doesn't. I want to plead you, don't give up 
praying because you may not have had all your prayers answered or maybe you're going through a tough, tricky situation and you just don't get it. Talk to God about it. Talk to other people about it. Let's not let anything hinder us. Throw off all that hinders you, okay? We don't want to let anything hinder us. We want to be a people who pray. There is a spiritual dynamic to this, okay? There is a spiritual dynamic. In Ephesians, where it talks about us putting on the spiritual armour, at the end of that, what it says is, and in all things, pray. So put all the armour on and pray. Because actually the armour alone, it's great, but it's, sort of, it's like it's released and works, it's outworking is through prayer. We need to, like, there is a, because there's a, there's a spiritual thing going on here, that principalities that are all, all around us, like they will do whatever they can to make us feel like, oh, I'm t- too tired to pray, or I can't be bothered to get up earlier, I'm just going to cancel, or I just want to, I need to switch off and do something else. Um, all those things will be coming in at us, fiery arrows, which is why we need to hold the, the shield up so we can pray about all things. Okay, so plan to pray, I'd say. It's not bad to plan, okay? Plan to pray, plan to pray with other people. The Jews, they would all come together. It was a, it was a beautiful image. They'd come together and pray. Are you praying with your running partners? Are you praying in your GCs? Are you praying when you hook up? I had a great, um, went out for a pint with Andy the other day. It was lovely. And then just really naturally, we just went for a little walk and we did like this huge walk around Holloway and up Tuffner Park, just praying. It just make it part of your normal life. Make it part of your natural life. Um, find a certain place. Where's your certain place? I love Hampstead Heath. I feel inspired to pray. I'm a country bumpkin at heart. I like nature. It helps me. Where's your certain place? It changes with the seasons, Absolutely. Get a certain place. Get a certain place. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Even read books. There are some amazing books about prayer. I'm in the middle of reading one by um, Pastor Yongi Cho, um, who was one, at one point one of the, the lead pastors of one of the biggest churches in the world. He had a book called um, Prayer, The Key to Revival. It is mind-blowing, the amount of people they were seeing saved because they commissioned their church to pray. It is incredible. I think the appropriate way to, um, to respond, and we're gonna, I'm going to ask the band to come up actually now, um, would be taking communion. Because I think the reason why the verse is put in a sentence and the sentence starts with rejoicing and ends with giving thanks is because our lamb was slain for us once and for all. And there is no prayer without sacrifice. So every time we pray, we should be aware that we can pray without ceasing, persisting, doing all of the things that we've been talking about because Jesus has made a way. He's made a way that we can graciously come in, boldly approach his throne room with confidence in our prayer life because his blood was enough. It dealt with what needed to be dealt with. Our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. So as he removed our transgressions from us, we can approach because he was slain. So it's appropriate for us to take communion and remember his body that was broken for us at the ninth hour and his blood that was shed for us at the ninth hour so that he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. So I'm going to hand over to the band who are going to lead us. And when they're singing, I want to just encourage us, let's go over, take communion, find people. And if you've been stirred or encouraged at all in anything that's been said today, then Let's start now. Let's start praying. Teach me to pray. Thank you, Jesus, that we can pray and help me to pray more. Put some stakes in the ground. Let this be, let this be one of those weeks that you say, no, from this point on, things are going to change and I'm going to prioritise the kingdom 
and the God-given process that God wants us to embrace with our whole hearts. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.